Hello and welcome to another episode of Casted Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. We are back to Redwall again. Um, now this is um, chapter 11 of book 2 or part 2 I should say. Depends on the edition I guess. Well... Here's the thing. They all say book two, but we want to be clear. It is the first book, Redwall, not... Not any of the other books. Right. This is Redwall. So when we last left off, Redtooth had gotten into the fight with Constance and been killed, and Fangburn and Sela were heading back to Clooney trying to come up with some lies to tell him about what had happened. Um, in uh, chapter 11, they're holding, the Abbey creatures are holding a council about um, Clooney again. And and their council includes a late repast, because you know Redwallers, they, got, they love their food. <laughs> and yeah, the consensus is... Clooney's not done. He is going to come back. Falling off of the plank all that distance and all those injuries he got is not enough to stop him. Though he does need time to recoup. And the abbot being a creature of peace doesn't want to have anything to do directly with the war plans himself and he delegates that um to you know other creatures the abbot apologized for misjudging the situation uh Basil and Jesh took Constance, who had some injuries from the um, fight she had had. No, she she got hit with the cutlass. Yeah, yeah, I said, yeah, she had some injuries, and so she was taken to the infirmary to get her wounds treated. Um, After the others had gone to bed, uh, Matthias and Methuselah strolled around the cloisters and they talked of the sword and of the young sparrow brought down by the archers. Um, and Methuselah says that the sparrows are extremely dangerous and warlike and quarrelsome but they keep to themselves unless you get into their territory, which what Jess had just done when they attacked. Right. Interesting way to portray sparrows. I mean, you don't look at a sparrow and think, oh yeah, this is dangerous. Well, if you looked at it from a mouse, mouse's right. view. And Brian Jakes, he did correctly point out how quarrelsome and though they are in real life and I've seen it for myself you know when I um, worked outdoors at a place that had some sparrows nesting in kind of the eaves of the roof they were like that with each other yeah oh yeah they have a prisoner the sparrow that got the Minor hit from the arrow in the leg. And and her name is Warbeak. And she is imprisoned under a wash basket. Now, um, 
Methuselah had um, some old record books that um, talked about sparrows a little bit. And also Methuselah was taken aback that Matthias could understand Sparrow. It's not that hard. Well, maybe, (laughs) I don't know why Methuselah couldn't, but... So the Sparrowhawk that had come four years back to Redwall um, to get an injury treated talked about sparrows and called them winged mice, which Methuselah doesn't see any connection between mice and what sparrows are like. Mice being highly civilized, quote-unquote. The the Sparrowhawk did um, share a bit of information that she had heard that the sparrows had once stolen an object of great value from the Abbey. Which, you know, that's interesting, considering that the sword is missing from the top of the roof. And the sparrows live up there. And Matthias has an experiment that he wants to try on the prisoner. Um, he... He goes up to where the basket with the imprisoned sparrow in it and um, taps on it to get her mad. And uh, she's uh, yelling at them how she's going to kill them. And um, Methuselah tells her, puts on a tough act and tells her to be quiet or. He's going to stick her with the dagger and the king if he comes down. And Warby gets real mad and says, King Bull Sparrow can't be killed with a little worm knife. He has a big sword to chop all mouses up. And... You see, this was a ruse to get get her to start making threats about the sword if they had it. And, uh... Well, when... When Matthias heard about, uh... the sword, he did a cartwheel. He whooped with joy. And, uh... called Methuselah... A magician, an ancient wizard. And the old mouse shook his head modestly. Oh dear me, no. I'd like to think of myself as an aged but extremely erudite scholar. And that is the end of chapter 11. Now on to chapter 12. We're back, uh, back with Clooney and his... Uh, Horde. Now Clooney is still in bed, propped up on pillows, and I have a real hard time imagining Clooney with pillows, and it's just <laughs> not something I. It's not crun- It's not crunchy ratly of him, right? Right. <laughs> well, or he's. I don't know. I wouldn't want to use the pillows for anything else after or something. I don't know. But Bet uh, no one else in the horde gets pillows. Well, he <laughs> he's the the head of the horde. And but he's propped up on pillows and sipping barley wine, which I'm sure was stolen from the cellars of the the they're in the church. Yeah, and we went into what that is last episode. Yeah. Uh, Fangburn and Seal are giving him a very thinly veiled pack of lies about what happened. And, and he knows it's improbable. <laughs> and 
they're fidgeting nervously. Now, if you, I can maybe see that because Clooney is not somebody that is stable, but if you're fidgeting nervously while you're telling a tale, it's probably more a tale than a, a fact. You know, they're giving inconsistent directions about where they were, and they're claiming their injuries were from walking into a thorn bush. And Fangburn has two black eyes and a torn ear, and he's covered with scratches. A thorn bush didn't do that. It's pretty uh obvious. And Clooney uh, asks Sila where the special herb that she went to search for was. And she's like, what special herb? And having totally forgotten what her original ruse for being out there in the first place was. Uh, Clooney throws the wine at them, beaker and all, and yells at them to leave. And, yeah, Red Tooth was gone, but, well, Red Tooth had been too ambitious, so it's just as well in Clooney's uh, view. Only he gets to be ambitious. Um. Yeah, everything was actually going to, according to Clooney's plan. So... And way off elsewhere in the woods, Asmodeus comes along, you know, looking for food, doing his Asmodeus, Asmodeus. I'm surprised we haven't named a snake that, or have you? I haven't. Maybe a future one. I've also never had that kind of snake. Actually live in a state where it's legal now, but not according to the local ordinances in the city. And, you know, Venomous has its own... We do have a cat named after a Red Bull character. Yeah, we've got Sarmina. And it talks about the different ways he would hunt. Uh, sometimes he would lie still waiting for um, something to come too close, which is a way that various vipers hunt. Yeah. And sometimes get... it would raise itself, uncoiling to look into bushes for eggs and birds in the nest. Some nights it was lean hunting. Many creatures sensed the approach of the slithering evil, or scented its dry, musty, death-like odor. Which, Brian Jakes, in his books, he keeps saying snakes smell like this. Uh. Well, if they musk. If they musk, but that's not what musk smells like. Right. (laughs) Snakes do, like, I guess they do sort of have a little bit of a scent if I would not hold, I would not get my nose close enough to an adder to know exactly what one smells like, but. Now I have a question. Okay, we've got to get to that part first, but then I'll ask the question. Uh, well, we're basically to that part yeah, where Asmodeus comes across the still form of Red Tooth. And yep, there's a rat that he doesn't have to use any venom or hypnosis on so um, he just eats it and it's all goth about it. No need of burial parties. Nature and the woodlands took care of their own funeral arrangements. There was but one efficient undertaker. 
The adder's jaws opened in something resembling the nightmare of a smile. The pathway to eternity was open. No. Very goth about the whole thing. But with that, I say... Weren't they wearing... You know, things... Garments, weapons, whatever. So... Asmodeus would be eating all of that as well? I guess so. I don't think Brian thought of that. A snake can digest almost anything. Um, Well, I guess it would come out the other end. Sorry. No. (laughs) (laughs) With... With actual real-life rodents... Everything is digested except for the fur. Which. Yeah. Passes as a sort of fur ball. Sorry, people. Sorry. We're we're snake keepers. As you can tell, we have snakes (laughs) among our pets. Our, Our little menagerie. This isn't exactly worse than the envenomation description of earlier in the book with uh, Ragir, so... Well, that concludes chapter 12. Yes, it does. (laughs) Now, the council had agreed... One moment... What? Obligatory nitpicky herper moment here. I believe I've already said in an earlier chapter that snakes do not hypnotize their prey. That's not a thing they do. That story got started a long time back and Brian Jakes fully uses it again and again and again. It's a thing in Redwall, but it's not a thing in real life. And But Redwall isn't quite the same as real life anyhow. Now, on to chapter 13. Where the council has agreed that uh, Methuselah and Matthias, who I refer to often sometimes as M&M, plus any creatures they chose to help them, would be left to their own devices while others fulfilled their duties at the gatehouse fortifications. And uh, Matthias has Warbeak on a leash with a collar around her neck and the uninjured leg has a brick tied to it to keep her from flying. Wasn't a big brick, but one that it couldn't get airborne with. And I think it's kind of weird that they even had a leash and collar around. Well, it's easy enough to make something. I'm guessing that was what happened. It's okay. Pets aren't like totally unheard of in this world, but it's unusual. I mean, most animals being uh, equal intelligence to each other. Right. Um, sometimes like something like a newt or a frog has occasionally been... Well, I imagine he took some twine or... Something. String something and... Uh... Some of the bad guys in later books have had, you know, attack whatever's... Right. And, of course, Warbeak is, you know, big angry about this, and... Death is too good for Matthias. She's gonna kill him twice and cut him up and drop him from the top of a high tree for the worms to feed upon... And but they they did find that Warbeak uh, loved candied chestnuts, and so if Warbeak acted nice, 
then Warbeak got candied chestnuts. If Warbeak didn't, then Warbeak didn't get the chestnuts. And he, he, Matthias also gave Warbeak praise uh, for good behavior. And uh, Methuselah finds Sister Germaine's um, translation of the Abbey Blueprints, and there's a diagram that shows the route to the roof spaces from the inside. Um, I d I'm not sure how much we discussed about this before, but Sister Germaine, who became um, Abbess Germaine, was the first Abbess of Redwall, and she pretty much did most of the work designing how how it would be built. So that's uh, something that they must have kept around a long time, unless uh, unless they recopied it onto something or. Yeah, I don't know what the time span uh, was from. Yeah, it's probably shorter than it sounds like because they're measuring in seasons, but right. still, long time. Matthias is getting his preparations for climbing up to the roof spaces, so he's getting climbing spikes and a hammer and um, several ropes, food and drink, candied chestnuts for Warbeak, who is cursing you know, while this is going on. We don't get uh, what curses she used, but I'm sure they involved a lot of worm this and that. Uh. Yeah, I was also, like, questioning to myself uh, why would it be okay for the sparrow to know this route That seems like it could be used later on in the future for entering from that way if they wanted. Well, um, not not to spoil anything, but in a future book, that is indeed a um security weakness in the Abbey. Okay. Um, involving birds. So something to think about for the future. Certainly not the only uh, security risk they keep. Right. Just... Oh, for all the times that vermin armies have sniped out of that ditch, you'd think that Formal and his buddies would have filled that in years ago. Well, I imagine it was a human-made ditch and sizable. Which probably was the case in the first book, but after Brian Jakes pretty much ditched any, almost any sign of humans existing at all in this entire world, uh, they still talk like it's sizable, but yeah. it probably still would be worth the effort to fill it in just to not give at Vermin Army of, of the book this time, next time... Their handy, convenient hiding and sniping vantage point. I'd think about planting some really thorny stuff into it. Well, that works. Put okay. some briars in there. 
Um, Basil Stag here and others are shoring up the gatehouse entrance. And uh, he's really getting into it with his, you know, military posturing and... The mice don't really mind. Basil and uh, Basil Stag Harris being uh, imitated by Silent Sam, um, miming all his uh, military strutting and being comical behind Basil. Basil. What? Which is it? Both names are correct, but I don't know which he meant there. It's probably Basil. Like, is it is it Basil, like, the British name, or Basil the Herb? And it being Redwall, it could be either way. Right. Um... Matthias um, gets his um, food from Cornflower and they say they're uh, goodbyes. Matthias doesn't tell her where they're going. Don't know why it's still a secret at this point. Or at all. Now, I had another thought. What's that? Now, um, you know how the fox had delivered the plan? Yeah. And why is Redwall assuming that fox had a real plan of attack and not a trap or a ploy cover-up of a different plan? Which it actually you know, does kind of come to pass later, but, uh, are, are the Red Wall... I think most of them are relatively are trusting. Even Ma- of the vermin? Uh, I feel, I feel like most of... This generation of them are anyway, maybe not Constance. Yeah. Yeah, Constance, if anybody would take it with a grain of salt. At the beginning of this book, they didn't think Clooney existed. Yeah. So they've gotten their food, including the nuts for Warbeak. And Methuselah met up with Matthias, giving him a route map, and then described the route. And tells Matthias that if he was younger, he um, wanted would have wanted to come with him. And he tells Matthias that if Warby causes him any trouble to kick her off into thin air and she will come down fast with that brick tied to her leg. Anyhow, um... Now, Matthias tripped. Oh, yeah, they, they started to climb. They... Yeah, they're climbing. They're, they're heading on their route up, and Matthias trips, and Warbeak attacked Matthias when that happened. And Matthias grabs his dagger and held it to Warbeak's throat and said, One more move like that, and it'll be your last. Do you hear me? And... Warbeak says if she gets a chance, she's going to kill him, and um, she's not going to give up. So, yeah, Warbeak was still very defiant. Um, 
and when they got to the first ledge, Matthias shoved her off. While still holding on to the leash, but right. she, so she's dangling by her collar and with the brick still attached to her leg. And Matthias um, makes her promise to behave herself or he's going to drop her. And um, Not only does she promise to be good, but she swears on her mother's egg, I believe. Which is considered a serious oath by sparrows. And... Matthias, you know, pulls her back up. Now, here's the weird thing. From this moment onward, for... They are lifelong friends. I'm not gonna, you know, spoil too much ahead, but... Anyhow, yeah. Um, no... says, Warbeak not wanna die... Mouse win, pull Sparrow up, be good, give word. So they've, they've got this lifelong wholesome friendship that started this way. With her as a prisoner yeah. and her trying to kill him and him threatening to kill her. And that's kind, that's kind of messed up, but... Yeah, well, at least... At least it got turned around... Uh, you know they're like you know having lunch together and and not a mention of any of this again. And while they're you know packing up everything, uh. Warbeak asks what Matthias was thinking about, and Matthias like, oh, nothing much, Warbeak. Come on, we're, we'd better get on. And with an odd feeling, Matthias realized that he and Warbeak were now on first-name terms. So, the start of a friendship had begun. Um... Um, back in uh, Clooney's camp, he's thinking of promotions he wants to make because um, three of his officers had been killed. Um, Skullface under the cart, Ragear from the snake, and Redtooth missing and presumed dead, and we, the readers, know he is dead. Right. And, uh... Yeah, plenty of, uh, Clooney's army, you know, were looking for promotion, uh, because promotion, besides getting prestige, you got extra shares of loot, um, if there were any to be had. And, uh, once again to the thing where the rats want you know, Clooney to only promote a rat like himself and themselves and kill Coney the ferret is like, oh, anybody that um, has the good sense and fighting spirit might be promoted. And he's uh, especially thinking of himself there. Chase Thief is... uh, Getting all uh, envious again. He knew that he didn't have much chance of promotion himself and was only rated as a minor sort of officer, as it says. And was thinking Dark Claw was the one who was likely to get it. Because Fangburn was all had um, had the incident in the woods with Sela Redtooth. Um, 
Now, Sela and her son uh, had been skulking in a corner and, you know, no one had spoken to them since the demise of Red Tooth. It was if, as if they were being blamed. And suddenly Clooney called out to Sella, Hey, Fox, take that brat of yours outside for a bit. Get some fresh air and remember, no wandering off. Send Darkclaw in here to me and the Gabby Ferret, what's his name, Kilconi. And the Foxes hastened to do what they were told and were glad to be out of the oppressive atmosphere of the sick room. And it wasn't an ordinary sick room, it was Clooney's sick room. I don't imagine others that might have been injured would get that, would no. Would get that with the pillows and all that, no. So. No, they'd probably just have to you know, hope they can find a strip of cloth to tie around whatever. And yeah. Uh, a moment of note, there is a typo here, where once Kilconi is referred to as her. Uh, ah. This is a typo, um, Brian Jakes has confirmed it's a typo and that Kilconi is male, but it's a pretty famous typo with fans. There's even a fan fiction out there where Kilconi is actually two Ferret's brother-sister twins, both named Kilconi. That would be fun growing up. Yeah. It's like thing one and thing two. (laughs) And uh, Clooney's plant... Yeah, sorry. What were you going to say? Clooney's um, talking about his plans of... He needs... Tunnelers. Oh, yeah. This is after Darkclaw and the ferret come in. Um, so, yeah, Clooney is uh, talking with them. And Kill Coney's, you know, get you know, excited because you know, this is what ferrets are good at and weasels and stoats tunneling and shoring and Dark Claw's not so happy about this because tunneling isn't something he knows about. I I associate tunneling more with rats than I do with uh mustelids. Yeah. I think of mustelids, you know, living in something else's burrow after Hunting it more than you know, digging their own. I mean, some of some kinds can dig, but anyhow, um, yeah, Clooney. After asking Darkclaw if he knew anything about tunnels, and Darkclaw, you know. Shaking his head unhappily, uh, Clooney's like, Never mind, I've got other work for you. We can't let ferrets, stoats, and weasels take all the glory, can we? And you've always been a good, solid rat, Darkclaw. You help me, and I'll see that you get a rich reward when the time comes. So, yeah. And I'm sure at that, that point, she's the. Um, there's a commotion from outside, and Cheese Thief comes in, and he's dragging Chicken Hound and, um, pushing Sela ahead of him with a spear. And Clooney asks Cheese Thief what's going on. He says that he caught the foxes with their ears against the door, listening in on the conversation. And then, of course, they're like, no, we weren't eavesdropping. 
We were just, you know, leaning against the door to rest. We're only healers. And then uh, Clooney says, you, you just wanted to help with the digging, is that it? And, of course, Chicken Hound just got to run his mouth. And it's like, yes, we'll give, give us a chance and we'll tunnel with the best of them. And Celo could tell what was going on and was trying to um, shush her son up. But it was too late. Too late. And Clooney says, who said anything about tunneling Fox? I only mentioned digging. So they've uh, outed what they were doing listening in. Yeah, Clooney condemned them as traitors. And uh, Clooney says to take them out of uh, his sight and they know what to do. And I think uh, you can catch the drift here. Mm-hmm. And the foxes were dragged away and Clooney turned back to the ferrets, weasels, and stoats. Now, about this tunnel. So that ends... Chapter 13. Chapter 13. Yeah, these are somewhat more uh, involved chapters than usual. Yeah. Yeah, the, the we're, plot's we're, picking up. We're back to Matthias and Warbeak and their... Uh, Making slow progress on yeah, the Yeah, they're getting higher up. It's getting harder to climb. And Matthias has um, actually removed the brick from Warbeak. But is still tying her wings. And so she could move easier, but she can't fly with that. So he doesn't trust her yet, if he's still doing that. Now, they ended up having their lunch leaning against the stained glass windows. Yeah, which means... uh, Somebody, somebody way back when must had to make those. I don't know really about how that's done. Stained glass. Yeah. Um. Well, you could have colored glass cut into different, you know, cut and then pieced together with lead, and you know. To make a, a, a pattern, a shape. Uh, though I think some people on the easier route, and it probably wasn't done the easier route, but uh, would be, you know, actually just painting clear glass. Um, but I don't, I'm guessing that wouldn't tell, you know, hold with the test of time. I think that would, you know. And we've already and discussed about how big maybe the Abbey might be. But this, it really makes it sound much bigger and um, just like an intimidating climb than it than the Abbey feels like in the rest of the series. I mean, this feels like it's describing a little mouse climbing up an actual church Inside and... Yeah. A person hided church with a bell tower and, you know, high, high things. That's kind of how I kind of envisioned it. And they don't realize it, but another sparrow is watching them. And it it notices them and then flew off. And neither Matthias nor Warbeak knew about this.
and the going continues to be difficult. And Matthias nearly falls. And it's Warbeak that um, saves him from tipping over the edge. Yeah, he Matthias was had stuck his dagger into the wood ceiling to steady himself. Which doesn't sound secure. Well, I mean it wasn't, but it it wasn't secure. Um and he actually uh the dagger dislodged and it went spinning down, and it took a considerable time before they heard the faint clatter as it hit the abbey floor. Gee, that makes it sound like it's a cathedral as opposed to, you know, something small. Like, that's the kind of thing I'm imagining reading this, and I'm not imagining everything so immense in the rest of the series. But this, yeah. uh... And uh, when they get to where they're going, they find a loft door, which they can't um, get to to open. And Warbeak is suggesting that Matthias um, untie her wings, well, cut her free so she can fly up and open the door. And Matthias makes her swear by Mother's Egg again that she won't fly away. And uh, she flies around a bit and flies up to open the door and this is like a trap door overhead, I think. And they get up through the opening. Matthias takes the collar and leash off of Warbeak, packs them away, tells her he can't keep her collar anymore. She's free and a good friend and and Warbeak says she's not going to leave you know her friend and she will stay with Matthias yeah she says Matthias my mouse friend I know leave stay with you so uh, that was basically I think where the friendship was fully realized by the two of them and they got another trap door to find And when they get through it, they find it opens inward, and it was really heavy, and they strained together until it creaked loudly and opened, and Matthias scrambled through, followed by Warbeak. And as soon as they get in, pretty much, they find themselves surrounded by sparrows, and they... And the door slams shut behind him. And they pin down Matthias and hold him down with their claws. And a big, strong-looking male sparrow who's got uh, crazy-looking eyes. This mouse worm, you my prisoner. This court of sparrow, me King Bull Sparrow. Oh, uh... We've met King Bull, and that's the end of this chapter. And now this is the same sparrow that uh, Warbeak had... Said had had the sword and was going to chop him up. And, you know, yeah, all sorts of threats about what Bull Sparrow would do. In chapter 15, uh, which uh, is the last chapter we're going to cover today... Um, starts out with the bodies of Sela and um, 
chicken hound, the foxes, were in the in the ditch, that same ditch that I said they ought to have filled in because everyone uses it to snipe from. They were laying limp there. Um, they had been speared and tossed in, and Sila was actually dead. Yeah. Chicken Hound started to wake up. He was injured but alive. Now, um, they had been executed with spears, and, um, yeah, Chicken Hound was still alive. He got a spear wound in the scuff of his neck, so just like the, the loose skin on the back, and in his hind leg, and he'd fainted. So the rats thought he was dead and threw him plus, in the ditch. Well, plus, um, when they threw Sella in, they threw Sella on top of him. And it's muddy down there and there's stinging nettles. They don't want to... The rats don't want to go in and verify that the foxes are dead. Uh, and they stick around till some flies start to come and then they leave. And... Chicken Hound um, pulls himself out from under his mother's body and he has no sadness for her whatsoever. Uh, He thinks she's an old fool and they wouldn't be in this mess if they'd let him, a younger and smarter fox, handle things. And uh, he waits around for it to get dark. And he's sniggering. Yeah, there, there's total lack of empathy or anything. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, yeah, he his plan was to uh, make his way to Redwall Abbey, injured as he was. Uh, and he figured it would be worth something, right? And it's not like there was a lot of choice because... You can't go back to the can't rats. can't go back to Clooney. You're dead. He's injured, so he wants, you know, to get help for his leg. The few times that the vermin are shown having families at all, it's almost entirely dysfunctional in some way. And I get it, they're supposed to be the bad guys, but sometimes it gets a bit... Like, like really? Anyhow, for for Chicken Hound... Uh... It was... A long journey, but it was better than laying there with the flies, wasps, worms, and all manner of crawlies. He rolled uh, mud on himself to um, keep it from bleeding more. Yeah, which I would say Formed he was. Poultice and I don't think that pulled. was a good idea, though. Well. I don't know. You got something like that. Oh boy, I shouldn't be talking medical. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a vet either. Um, but I think it would be more important that debris not. Yeah. Well, they're not necessarily saying debris is in as opposed to mud. Mud is debris. Well. Yeah. <laughs> like it would be, I think, better for it to bleed than half the mud, but eh. And he's already thinking revenge plots, son. The rats. Drags himself Out of the ditch.
after crawling along the ditch a long way. It 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 literally took him hours to make that crawl. And Cornflower and Silent Sam are on sentry. Actually, no, they're not. They're bringing food to the sentries. That's, That's right. But, um... Anyhow, a chicken hound was completely exhausted and he lay in the dust. Um... He was in sight of the abbey, the abbey walls, and he fell into a state halfway between unconsciousness and sleep, and he he couldn't go a step further at that point. And uh, Cornflower and Silent Sam are bringing around soup for um, the wall sentries, and... That's when Sam is pointing down to the road with his knife and beckoning for Cornflower and Ambrose to come and look. And they can see that something is lying down there with a lot of mud and dust on it, but they can't tell what it is. And uh, Ambrose, Jess, Squirrel, and Formal go out to with Basil Staghair and no, without Basil Staghair they go out to investigate and Basil Staghair and a dozen mice guard the gatehouse door while they're doing this they find Chicken Hound they bring him in And they ask him if the rats did this and if it's sanctuary he wants. And Chicken Hound is kind of still out of it, but he's uh, calling for the... He must see the abbot and keep the badger away from him or you'll learn nothing. Yeah. So anyhow, Chicken Hound was hauled into the Abbey building. And the abbot does come to see him and ask... He he had been asleep. He was rubbing his eyes. He was in his nightshirt. Ask Chicken Hound what he wants and um, he thinks that Clooney sent him there to spy. And Chicken Hound is asking for water. Which Chess Squirrel is holding back from him. And meanwhile, he's also shaking his head in weak denial. So no, he wasn't sent to spy. And the the abbot doesn't like the water being held back. Jess is doing it, so he'll talk first and get the water after. Uh... So, yeah, the abbot was distressed because it went against his grain, you know, that... To not, you know, immediately help the injured fox. Yeah. Um, But decided to let... uh, It kind of goes against my grain, too, but... Anyhow, the abbot decided the squirrel knew what she was doing. And the fox does speak up. Clooney's horde did this to me, croaked the fox. My mother, Sela, they killed her. I know of Clooney's new plans. Care for me and I will tell you all. And then with that, Chicken Hound fainted clean away. Now Jess, speaking kind of coldly, said, Huh? I certainly wouldn't have wasted good time and medicine on this one. Uh, 
And they don't actually know how bad he is yet. Right. I mean, they they know that he was associated with the rats, um, even though he isn't really part of their horde. He was with a group of foxes that already lived there. In the area, I mean. Ambrose Spike scratched his stomach speculatively. True, Jess, neither would I, but mayhaps he has vital information. Otherwise, why would he drag himself here in this state? And then the abbot inspected the fox's neck wound under the muddied fur. Anyhow, uh, and the abbot said, what Ambrose says makes sense. Would you lift this wretched creature up and carry him to the sick bay, please? And so Cornflower and Silent Sam watched as the fox was carried away. Sam stood in front of her because Sam doesn't just help with bringing food around. Sam... He carries his new little dagger around everywhere and... Silent Sam has decided he's Constance's bodyguard. Uh And so... That's... Picturing this little tiny squirrel with like his big hulking badger. (laughs) Anyhow, that... it's, It's cute. So he has his dagger drawn to protect them from the... Passed out fox. <laughs> and um, in the sick bay, um, Chicken Hound wakes up later with Abbot Mortimer and Winifred the Otter next to him. And he doesn't know where he is. And, and his neck hurts. They g- and they give him water, which he drinks. And they tell him that he is in the infirmary and they're going to treat his injuries. And Chicken Hound is surprised that they're letting him stay, even though he didn't tell the plans yet. And the abbot says they wouldn't turn him away unless he was an enemy that meant them harm. All creatures are cared for at Redwall Abbey, and it's my task to care for the sick and injured. You are my responsibility. Whether or not you choose to give information is a matter that your own heart must deal with. Meanwhile, you will receive our hospitality and sanctuary until you are fully recovered. So that's really kind of the the mindset that the abbot has always had. Yes. And... Chicken Hound uh, thinks about it a bit and then um, tells it all about how the battering ram is only a decoy and it's a diversion and what they're really going to do is um, tunnel under the abbey wall and they're not sure, he's not sure where the tunnel is going to be but it's going to be that way that Clooney attacks them. And the abbot asks why he would crawl all the way to Redwall with this information, almost at the cost of his life, which isn't fully, I'd say, understanding what happened there. Right. Now, Chicken Hound did his best to look sorrowful and outraged as he lied. And, yeah, he says he wants um, justice for his mother's murderers because they killed her. Even though we know... We know he didn't care at all. Right. Um. Yeah, but thanks him for um, entrusting his confidence in in them and says he can rest now. And as soon as the abbot has gone, he, Chicken Hound is sniggering again because the abbot is an old fool and the mice are... Stupid, and now he's in a treasure house to let the rats and the mice fight. He's inside Redwall, and there must be treasure here. 
and he could take his time looking for it, I guess. So anyhow, that's how we end chapter 15, and uh, can't wait to see what happens next, and we'll be covering that again real soon. Is there anything more you want to add, Sarah, or in conclusion? Ah, uh, no. I mean, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, we, well, we still have a cliffhanger here. Because we still have, gee, what's going to happen with Matthias, who's caught by the sparrows? Um, and uh, what's Chicken Hound going to do next? Um, is this tunneling plan going to su succeed? Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, message us on Facebook on through the Cast It Into the Fire podcast page. Join our group. Really, we'd love to hear from you. Um, thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.